A glorious anthem. It captures what we're about tonight. Uh, the cross is uh, held before us, and we remember what Jesus has done. And you have to realize in Scripture there's not a whole lot of information given about the actual physical crucifixion of Christ. Basically, it says there they crucified him. But we follow through the Scriptures how he's betrayed by Judas, and he goes to Caiaphas, and then Caiaphas sends him to Pilate, and Pilate sends him to Herod, and Herod sends him back to Pilate. Pilate turns him over to be crucified. They mock him and spit on him. They nail him to a cross. They suspend him between heaven and earth. He thirsts. He feels forsaken by God because he's plunged into darkness. And then he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he gives up his spirit and says it's finished. We think about that all day today, but what does it mean? How does it affect uh, how we live? Uh, what does our meditation move us to do? And I want to read one verse really out of Galatians. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul is trying to reaffirm what the gospel really is to the church in Galatia. They have started mixing into faith uh, their works. And they don't believe they're saved by faith alone, but faith plus works, especially the dietary law, and it puts at odds even Peter and Paul. And they have a great confrontation. But you have in this last uh, two verses of chapter 2 kind of a summary of the gospel. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson calls it the gospel in one verse. He said that in our Sunday school class, and what a great way to look at it. The Christian life in one verse. And that verse is Galatians 2, 20, and I'll read 21 too. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing reading of God's word to God's people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the crucifixion, and by our faith in Christ, we're united to him in it. May we live as people who have died and rose again, even today, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Most of you know this without me saying it, but the one person who has impacted my theology more than anybody else is R.C. Sproul. And even before he was my seminary professor at RTS, he came to Cleveland and did special services once or twice when Wilson was at First Press. In those classes, R.C. Sproul not only taught me theology, he had to mix in there a little logic. And what I mean by logic, that R.C. Sproul would like to argue and debate theologically with people who were not only disagreed with him, as a Calvinist, but people who were atheists. And so he was very particular about logic. And one of the things I heard him say often, uh, not just once, he said, you have to believe in the law of non-contradiction. And he said, if you don't believe in the law of non-contradiction, we can have no logical discussion. Now, you might not know what the law of non-contradiction is, but you probably will understand it real easy. Something cannot be 
A and non-A at the same time. Something can't be a dog and not a dog at the same time. And so you cannot deal logically in contradictions. What we have in the Bible sometimes are not contradictions, they're paradoxes. They're seeming contradictions. And that's what you have in this chapter and this verse. You have a seeming contradiction, a paradox. It seems like Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live, and Christ lives in me. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I have died and I am alive. And so what you basically have is the living dead. And that's what Good Friday does. We're the living dead, the dead are who are living by faith in Christ. And so what we have here, I want just to look at two points and some motivational ideas. Uh, one is, the first one is, we have died. We have been crucified with Christ. Not literally. We have not been nailed to the cross. We have not been suspended between heaven and earth. We have not been mocked like that. But we have spiritually been crucified with Christ. I don't know what you do at your house on Sunday at lunch or what you discuss, but what we discuss sometimes is how to parse uh, verbs. Uh, we really did about six weeks ago. We had a table discussion about what the perfect tense was. And uh, that probably fills your conversation too. And Jack wanted to get some Jack wanted to get some math in there, you know, that's his strong suit. And so we did some parsing of verbs and, uh, and some math. But we, we talked about what the perfect verb means, the perfect tense. And Mary Gibson was learning that. I didn't learn that until I took uh, Greek in several years, you know. Still forgive it every now and then. But when you look at this word crucified and you parse it, it is a perfect passive indicative. And now you know exactly what the word crucified means. Perfect. In the Greek, perfect means something that has happened in the past, but its effects go into the future. We have been crucified with Christ. The passive means it's done to you and not by you. You have been crucified. It is something that's been done to you. You're passive in the thing. And then it's indicative and it's not imperative, meaning it's a fact. An imperative would be you crucify yourself. You crucify your sin. But this is a fact. It is a fact that in the past you were crucified with Christ and that is a fact that you have to rely upon. R.G. Lee was a pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church for years. His ministry lasted over 60 years. And he preached the same sermon, I think, 1,300 times, payday someday. And so I don't feel too bad every now and then preaching the same sermon twice, but not 1,300 times. But anyway, he made a trip to the Holy Land, and they got to the place where the guide said, we think this is where Golgotha was, where Jesus was crucified. And R.G. Lee says, you know, I want to go up there. And the guide said, no, you don't need to go up there. And he said, no, I want to go up there. And he went up there, and the, the guide said to R.G. Lee, took off his hat and stood there and said, 
in silence probably praying or meditating on the fact that Christ had died for him. And the guy said, have you ever been here before? And he said, yeah, 2,000 years ago. He's right. What we're talking about is what is one of the most important points of view in the Bible, our union with Christ. That when you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, exercise faith in Christ, you are united to Him. Martin Luther uses the word, you are cemented to Him. You're, you're with Him. You're, you're united. The Bible uses the idea of union with Christ as the image of a vine and a branch. They're, they're one. Uh, one feeds the other, and the other's dependent on the other. But the one that I like to think of is that we're the bride of Christ. That when you get married, uh, that's really a perfect passive indicative. I was married uh, 48 years ago almost. But when you get married, the two become one. I'm here and Sarah's there, but we're still one. What she charges downtown for the grandchildren, I have to pay for. You know, uh, what, what I buy, she has to pay. We're, we're legally one. We're growing in oneness. And that's the idea that we are one with Christ. We're united to him. And we are to realize that's a fact. And Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 11 that we're to consider ourselves dead to sin. The old King James says, you reckon yourselves dead to sin. And it doesn't mean like just reckon, you know, like I reckon I'm going to go fishing tomorrow or something like that in southern ease. But what we mean by reckon is to consider or to logically ponder because it's a accounting term. Something has been put on your account and because it's on your account, you need to reckon or you need to consider that that's the amount of money you have in the bank. You know, what the bank says you have, you probably have. And what God is saying through Paul is you are to count yourself dead, crucified with Christ, no longer living. Dr. DeYoung had taught me second semester of summer Greek. He built on the foundation that Kistemacher had laid, and then he taught me, I think he taught me uh, New Testament uh, manuscript. We had to learn all that stuff at the bottom, you know. I don't understand it even now. Uh, but I remember one sermon he preached, and I remember the passage, and I remember the illustration which is a reason to use illustration. You remember the truth attached to it. And he was preaching on Romans chapter 6 about reckoning yourself dead to sin. And it was during the spring because it was at Mardi Gras, and he says, let's play like or let's pretend or let's consider that you're, you're dead and you're stretched out here before me in the casket. And your friend comes up to you and says, hey, let's go to Mardi Gras. Let's go to New Orleans and party, party, party. And he says, you know, if you could talk, you would say, I can't go. I'm dead. I'm dead. And that's what it means to face temptation being in Christ. I 
can't do that. I'm dead. I'm a different person than I was. The old man has died and the new man has come. The better illustration is one you've probably heard several times is Augustine. St. Augustine was a man who hesitated becoming a Christian for a long time because he had this pet sin that he didn't want to give up. I should say he, he didn't want to repent and be baptized. And finally he read one verse and he was convicted and converted and what he, what he had to do, he had to give up his concubine and he had to give up the women of the streets. Well, after he had been converted, he was walking down the street and he came up to a girl came up to him that quote knew him and she said Augustine and he didn't say anything Augustine he didn't say anything and she said Augustine it is I and Augustine says but it's not I it's a new I that I has been crucified with Christ that person that that before Christ, that part of your life is to be considered dead. The power of sin because of what Christ has done on the cross has been broken. And the combination of those two things give us the ability to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness. The other thing is you are alive. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you hear all the I's and the me's in there? Christ lives in me. I have been united to Christ in his death. I have been united to Christ in his burial. And therefore, I am united to Christ in his resurrection, as we'll talk about Sunday morning. What Paul is saying is, I have been united to Christ so that I am really alive. There is a real me. It doesn't mean that Christ is living in me, that I just let go and let God, that I wait for God to move me in a certain direction mysteriously and magically and, and uh, you know, emotionally. But it means that Christ is actually indwelling me as I'm in him, the spirit of Christ. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not a Christian. And so we have the ability and the responsibility to live as people that are alive to God, alive to Christ. In 1918, in New York City, there was a train wreck. Uh, well over 100 people died from my remembering this article. In 1918, there was no DNA evidence. That was before time. And in this train wreck, uh, it was a fiery crash, and so a lot of the people, almost all the victims, were incinerated. There was really not much left to know who was who. And so they had funerals for everybody that bought a ticket although they weren't sure this person was who they were burying. They were burying people who bought a ticket. But not everybody that bought a ticket got on the train. 
So those people, they thought they were dead, but they were really alive. And some of those people weren't good people. They had problems with the law. They had tax issues, bad marriages, people uh, just bad. And they thought, okay, everybody thinks I'm dead. I'll just start over. I'll just start a new life. And they couldn't do it. Can you imagine what it would be to start a new life, literally, if people thought you were dead? You, you can't contact your family, your children, your mom, your dad, your friends, or anybody. You have to somehow get a new Social Security card. You need, you need, there's just so much. They couldn't do it. And so those people were eventually apprehended and brought back into the real world. What they couldn't do, we can do. We can live like dead people. We can live because the power of sin has been broken and we do have a new life. The Shorter Catechism says we can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And that's what it means to be dead but alive. But there's another point I want to bring out is there's more than just ability here. There, there's more than just capability and responsibility. There's real motivation here. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul is the only person in the entire New Testament that makes that statement. That Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. You say, okay, Tim, I know the Apostle John called himself the beloved one, but he didn't actually say he loved me. And John would greater go on later to say that this is how we know what real love is, that God loved the world and he gave his son to be a propitiation for their sin. He would talk about the love of God, but he didn't do it in that personal tone that Paul does here. <clears throat> it says also that Jesus loved the rich young ruler. Remember that? The rich young ruler, Jesus told him that when he said, I've, I've done it all. I've kept all the commandments. What else, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> what else is there for me to do? And Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And it said the man walked around, walked away sad. And the verse says, see how Jesus loved him. You know, I've said it often in my ministry and I hope you it sinks in and is written on your heart. You have to personalize the gospel. You see, you have to go further than saying Jesus died for sinners. You have to say Jesus died for me, who is a sinner. You can't just say that Jesus was forsaken by God, but he was forsaken for me. You have to make it personal. Martin Luther says that's the biggest, most powerful word in the whole New Testament is, is me. 
And Paul was probably meditating on that word. Can you imagine writing that down? He loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul was thinking, I'm the least of all apostles. I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm a blasphemer. I'm a murderer. I persecuted the church. And God loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, what do you ponder when you think about the me that God loves? Aren't you just amazed that God loves you? And can you ever get over that? It says in Romans chapter 5, you see at just the right time when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will someone die for a righteous man, though for a good man somebody might dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The Apostle Paul says we were powerless, ungodly, unrighteous sinners that were enemies of God, and Christ died for us. John R. W. Stott says the cross shows us three things, really. And one is it shows us that sin must be awful. Not just their sin, but sin must be awful that God had to send his son to take the burden of sin. That nobody else was good enough to pay the price of sin. Sin must be awful if it meant that Jesus had to die to pay the penalty, redeem us and set us free. But the cross also means love, the love of God must be great. to die for somebody else can you imagine the type of love I know you say you'd probably die for your children would you really think about it and if you did we would be amazed at that and salvation the cross proves that salvation is free if somebody can be saved by works then Christ died for nothing. If you can earn your salvation, why did Christ come? The answer is he wouldn't have had to. So we say what we often say, that we are so sinful that somebody had to die for us. And we're so loved that Jesus was willing to die for us. And that changes everything. I wish we had picked this hymn to close with, but uh, I'm going to quote it anyway. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in, when Christ, the mighty maker, died, for man, the creature, sinned. Thus might I hide my blushing face 
while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes in tears. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Let's pray. Father, that is all we can do, that we love because you first loved us, and because you gave yourself to us, we give ourselves to you in love and devotion even now. Feed us from this table, strengthen our faith, build up our hope, increase our will to fight sin, all as we taste of you and see that you're good. In the name of Jesus, amen.